Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. First of all, I think if you look at the company started back in the 90s, it's really been innovation. And we really invented this space and have continued to work with, whether it's a companies like Visa and MasterCard or companies like Verizon and AT&T to enable the technology and to make it as easy as possible. And then working with our operators to provide more and more innovation around that. That's what's driven us to be the largest player in the market with over a million endpoints. That was Sean Feeney, the CEO of Cantaloupe, and he is our special guest this week. This is episode 90 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. And hey, before we get started, if you happen to office in Houston, Austin, or North Texas, check out Fuse Workspace, where their mission is to help others do more. Check them out at FuseWorkspace.com. Okay, back to the show. Sean grew up in a small town in New York called Attica, which of course is famous for its maximum security prison. He graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point and served in the Army for six years, mostly in Europe. He currently lives in Roswell, Georgia. Cantaloupe is the leading provider of solutions to the unattended retail space. For example, vending machines, car washes, basically anything where there isn't a retail clerk. They provide both the digital payments capability and the software that drives the logistics servicing of those locations. The company was started in the early 90s, will do approximately 160 to 170 million in sales this year, and has 180 employees. Cantaloupe was formerly USA Technologies. They launched the new name and the complete new brand about a month ago. On the personal side, Sean has a passion for his family and supports a lot of youth and high school activities. And on the business side, he is very passionate about building great leaders and helping them succeed. We've got a great show today, so let's get started. Hi, Sean. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Hey, Greg, thanks. It's great to be with you today. All right. Well, let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure. So I uh, grew up in a small town in western New York, right between Buffalo and Rochester. If you're familiar with the movies like Dog Day Afternoon or Saturday Night Late Fever, you've heard of Attica, New York. It's well known for a, a maximum security prison, about 2,000 people. Outside the walls, 4,500 behind the walls. And from there, I uh, went to college at uh, the University of, or the uh, United States Military Academy at West Point, then served on active duty for six years, most of that in Europe during the uh, the Cold War, the early 80s. Got out, started working in technology and software, selling software and different solutions. And I've kind of gotten bigger and better jobs, culminating in my first CEO job in 2005. And this is my fourth CEO job. So I live in Roswell, Georgia, lived here since uh, 1994 and have two daughters and one granddaughter and a golden retriever, a black lab to keep me sane every morning, walking two and a half, three miles. And uh, <laughs> I've been married to the same woman for 41 years. So that's my story. Great, great. Well, well first of all, thank you for your service. I appreciate that. Uh, you're very welcome. You paid for my education. That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Cantaloupe. So tell the audience, they may not have heard of the name switch. So I'm sure you're going to talk about the rebrand, but tell us what Cantaloupe does. Cantaloupe is a leading provider of solutions to the unattended retail space. And we provide a digital 
payment capability, as well as all the software to provide information for our operators to run that unattended retail location. So what we mean by unattended retail is any place there isn't an attendant. So think vending machine, think micro market, think massage chairs, think car washes, dog washes, air vac machines, just about anything that you can think of a service or a good that you can buy where there's not a retail clerk, we're providing the point of sale capability. And then we also provide the software that drives the logistic servicing of that service underneath. So uh, a nice combination of payment and software capability. Company was started back in the early 90s. Our first device was a cashless device on a driving range golf ball machine. And we've been the innovator working with any number of partners and driving that to the success you see now with cashless, uh, which is in the high 60s as percentage of every transaction at an unattended retail location. Okay. And how big is the company? So we're uh, in our fourth quarter. Our revenue guidance for this year is uh, 163 million to 171 million. And so a good sized company. We have about 180 employees and we're headquartered in Malvern, Pennsylvania, right outside Philadelphia. We also have offices in Denver and Atlanta, where I am. Okay. Is it global or mainly just North America? Mainly North America right now. We are working on expanding into uh, Asia and Latin America and have active uh, kind of begun the business of doing that. Okay. And how do you go to market? Do you have a direct sales force or do you work through channel partners? How do you go to market? We have 18,000 customers. And so at the low end of the market, we work a lot with distributors. We also have a direct sales organization that is primarily a telecenter type of uh, selling. And then we have enterprise sales reps for the larger customers in which we're calling on them directly. And so partners and a direct model. Okay. And I sort of mentioned it earlier, but Cantaloupe was USA Technologies. So could you talk about maybe the rebrand? I believe that went public when a month or so ago. Yeah, we actually launched it just about a month ago. Got to ring the closing bell at NASDAQ, which is a great highlight for me. And we took 25 of our cross-section of our employees from customer service reps to software engineers up through executives to New York with us and really had some excitement. Rebranded the company because we do plan to go and sell internationally. And the USA name when we went to Canada was a little bit limiting and had some pushback on that. And we owned the name Cantaloupe. It had very good brand equity. And we also updated the graphics and logo. And uh, as one of my customers said, oh, Sean, I love this Cantaloupe logo. Welcome to the 2000s from that logo you had from the late 1990s. (laughs) So uh, very positive reaction. And even the people who had... uh, you know, been with the company almost from the beginning with the USA Technologies logo, have embraced the rebranding and the feedback has been very positive across the board from customers, shareholders, and employees. So Cantaloupe was an existing software that you bought a few years ago, is that right? Yeah, we bought Cantaloupe and Cantaloupe was the leading provider of the logistics software that we talked about and put that together with the leading digital payments capability to really provide the market leading solution. And the company is called Cantaloupe Systems. Whenever you're looking at rebranding and changing the name, one of the hardest things is to come up with a name that somebody else doesn't already own. And so we owned that name. It had recognition as being very innovative and very customer service focused, which is two of the key things that we wanted. And, you know, we were able to put that together in a new brand and it's been very well accepted. Okay. And, you know, just curious, the, you know, we're coming out, uh, hopefully, of the pandemic. And during the last year or 18 months, obviously, you read a lot about Contactless and how big that is in the industry and how it really grew. I mean, did you guys see, I know 
you're not positioned as contactless per se, but did you see the pandemic as, you know, probably a double-edged sword? A lot of people wanted to pay the, you know, do the unattended thing, but then not as many people were out and about doing things. So how did the pandemic affect your business? Well, the pandemic definitely was a headwind for us, especially in office locations. And, you know, what we really try to provide to the operator of an unattended retail location is the ability to take digital payments on their vending machines, on their micromarkets, and on their office coffee service. And if you think of, you know, in a downtown office location in Manhattan or in Chicago or in San Francisco, those people just weren't there. And so, you know, we saw anywhere from 20 to 25% of our transactions fall away just because people weren't in locations where they could buy and get goods. On the other hand, we saw areas in and around online commerce, distribution centers for companies like Walmart and Amazon exploding and growing. Mm -hmm. And so kind of depended on where you were in the mix that you saw. But as you said, we definitely saw a significant increase in contactless payments And anecdotally, I've heard it from any number of people, our employees talking about their parents. My parents never used the tap, never used their phones, and now that's all they use. So I think the pandemic had a benefit of moving contactless forward, but it really just accelerated the use of non-cash payment mechanisms. So January 2020, percentage of digital payments versus cash on our devices was 59% to uh, to 41. At the end of April, that was 65 to 35. So significant increase in cashless. We've also seen significant increase in contactless. And then one of the other hot topics of the day is crypto. So any plans on serving the crypto market? Yes. We just recently announced uh, with our earnings, I think a couple of weeks ago, that we have a partnership with an Atlanta company, Bact, who is very involved in alternative payment methods, one of those being crypto to begin offering crypto payments in the October timeframe. So we'll begin shipping all of our devices with stickers for doing crypto payments. And we're doing that in a partnership with BACT. So uh, ultimately, what we're trying to do is be able to have the consumer pay any which way that they want to pay. And we've gotten a lot of people asking about crypto. I think we're all curious to see what the uptake is on that. But as the leader in the market, we need to also be a thought leader and a leader in kind of innovation and the ability to do those sort of things. Right. So now maybe we can buy a candy bar with crypto, but we can't buy our Tesla with crypto. Well, you know, I think Elon Musk may swing back around and take that. But if I'm doing something better than somebody like Tesla, that's a a great badge for us. And we'll uh, celebrate that as a win. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say differentiates you guys from your competitors out there? First of all, I think if you look at the company started back in the 90s, it's really been innovation. And we really invented this space and have continued to work with whether it's uh, companies like Visa and MasterCard or companies like Verizon and AT&T to enable the technology and to make it as easy as possible. And then working with our operators to provide more and more innovation around that. That's what's driven us to be the largest player in the market with over a million endpoints. And then I think the ability to have not only the digital payment capability and all of the information sources and, and managing that and feeding information back to our customers, but the software to help them run their operation from one solution provider is another differentiation. And then last, I would say scale. So when you look at the pricing that we can get, the ability to manage large numbers of devices and provide information and provide service to those. You know, I never underestimate the power of scale. And so a size company of ours, you know, in the, let's call it the $165, $168 million range this fiscal year, 
you know, we have the wherewithal where we can invest, we can do things. We've got $80 million on our balance sheet. So, you know, we're not somebody that's struggling to stay around next week. We're working on what is the next innovation look 24, 36 months out. And I think, you know, those are the differentiators that we bank on, but we value innovation and focus on the customer. And this next question, I typically ask it from the perspective of payments, but I'd love if you could answer it from not only your opinion on where you think payments is headed, but where is the unattended retail market headed? So both of those topics, where do you think they're headed in, say, the next two to three years? Well, I think there's a tremendous amount of innovation going into how you actually pay for services. And I think we will continue to see cash being less and less important and replaced by digital payment capabilities, whether that's credit cards, whether that's debit cards, whether that's crypto, whether that's loyalty points, whether that's through Venmo, Zelle. I think you're going to continue to see that as people look at how can they uh, make the economics work maybe a little bit better than they currently work today in a cash or in, in a cashless credit card type of uh, capability. So I think you're going to see huge innovation in that and the way people pay for things. And I think more and more that's probably going to move to a mobile device. And that mobile device then will power all sorts of customer loyalty, whether that's incentives back to them, the more data that'll be able to be fed. is one of the things I always say, remember, we're paying Amazon a couple hundred dollars a year in order for them to get all of the information we have and then use that to sell us more. And ultimately, the merchandising of the end users, what my customers are all asking for. And I think there'll be huge innovation around the payment means for that. And whether that drives loyalty or merchandising, that's ultimately to be seen. On the unattended retail space, I just think you're going to see that continue to explode as there's a labor shortage. When you can get labor, you're paying more and more for it. And the technology just keeps getting better for being able to do things in an unattended space. I mean, we're talking to people about people being able to get their pharmaceuticals through that. We've conversations, you know, buying just about anything you can think of and interacting that through a unattended retail space. The cameras and the security and, and various things just keep getting better and better so that, you know, that unattended capability, you know, looking at theft and leakage, if you will, I think will continue to be alleviated. So whether that's walking into a restaurant, being seated by a robot, paying with a device at your table, paying with your phone, paying with a credit card, I think you know, more and more you're going to see unattended and the capabilities around video robots and various payment mechanisms are going to drive this thing forward. And you'll see that also in areas outside the United States where labor is getting more expensive and where they wouldn't think of having unattended retail because labor was so cheap, whether that's in Mexico or Latin America or India, you're seeing those costs rise rather dramatically. And so I think we'll see unattended retail really explosively grow in, in areas outside the U.S. as well. And you categorize things like at the airport where you can go into different shops and actually there's no one working in there. It's unattended. I mean, that's part of your market, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you see in various airports where you can go take a nap. There's no reason that needs to have an attendant. That could be a kiosk and just about anywhere in the airport, in the train station, at a stadium, I actually think you're going to see in a lot of office buildings, the food service or cafeteria is going to go away and be replaced by a micro market and a series of unattended retail type of things. And I think that will ultimately get to where you can order fresh food, you can order snacks, traditional snacks and traditional vending type of things. We have our devices on uh, fresh salad machines that are making custom made salads in hospitals today. So I think only the imagination limits what you'll see with unattended retail, but any place that you're paying 
and getting services where there's not an attendant is a potential market for us. And I know we've focused mainly on the payment side, but I don't want to leave this part of the conversation without touching on the software a little bit. So can you give an example of what the software does and how it helps your customer? Sure. So COVID is a perfect example of how we help our customers. So if you think of when we put a cashless, a digital payment device at a location, sales almost always go up and they go up 20 to 30, 40%. When people are paying with a credit card then versus cash, they just buy more. On the software side, we're very often in the business of reducing cost, and we reduce it a similar amount anecdotally is what customers tell us. So for example, COVID hits, all of a sudden, certain locations are shut down. As an operator, I'm trying to figure out, I may have 10 routes that my drivers drive servicing the machines. Well, now half those machines aren't in operation. What's the most optimal way I can reduce the number of routes, reduce the cost, and ultimately, I want to be able to serve those vending machines in a just-in-time type of uh, situation and what's the optimal mix within that machine or in that market that sells the most and how do I make sure that I don't ever have stock outages and so that there's always product to sell there. I've got the right product that the customer wants to buy and I'm servicing it in the most efficient way that, that I can do that. And that's ultimately what we do. And we stretch back into the warehouse so that you can pick the things that you want to put in the route that day managing that inventory, and then ultimately the most optimal route to drive, and then run that from one central location across my office coffee service, my vending operation, and my micro market. So we're unique in the ability to do that. So basically, they can use your software and payments to run their entire business. I like to think of us as the backbone for that unattended retail operator. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you and your journey to the CEO there. And you mentioned a little bit already about your prior career, but maybe catch us up between the first time you were the CEO to where you are today. Sure. So when I got out of the the military, and I love the military, if the Army had seen fit to keep me with troops, I probably would have stayed in for 20 or 30 years. But I had commanded early in my career and it was going to be a little bit while and I was teaching uh, tactics at an army school and I was bored to tears. And so I decided I was going to get out and see what else I could do. And I had an engineering degree. So I started looking at engineering type jobs and that didn't seem all that interesting. And I went to a junior officer job fair with salespeople and I realized these were my people. And so I began selling software in 1986 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Every several years would move on. I was lucky enough to work for some people that took me with them. And in uh, 2005, I got my first CEO job with a company that we did electronic data interchange and value-added networks and worked with the Fortune 5000 in that business with a private equity firm. And you know, we ran that for five and a half years. And we were the number three player in the market, starting to hurt the number two and three. And so the number one player took us out. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work for the private equity firm, Golden Gate Capital where it's working on portfolio companies and helping them improve and looking at new deals. And I was recruited by Warburg Pincus to come take over a company uh, called Tradecard in New York. I actually moved to Manhattan, which was exciting. We merged it with another company in Oakland, California. So I moved to the Bay Area for 18 months. And then Charles Phillips at Infor saw the value we were building in a supply chain network and acquired us. And then I invested in a small cybersecurity startup with a few people and was the initial... uh, CEO for two years. And then we raised some more money and I turned it over to one of the guys I had hired to take it forward and thought I was going to retire. And I did retire for about 18, 19 months. 
and uh, I got a call and was attracted to the cantaloupe opportunity and saw it as a great market with uh, some great products and some great people, a great board that was coming in as part of a a proxy battle. And so I took over uh, about a year ago and it's been a great ride so far. we got some great people, some great customers, and it's a great market. So uh, I'm having fun. I'm struggling from time to time at being much older than a lot of my employees, but uh, <laughs> you know, some of my references to Lost in Space and Gilligan's Island just land with a thud nowadays because nobody's ever heard of those. So <laughs> Lost uh, in Space is one of my favorite ever. Yeah. So, you know, when you trot out Danger Will Robinson with somebody who graduated from college two years ago, they just look at you and I tell them, go home and ask your parents or your grandparents and they'll tell you what I mean. So, <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. It, gets, it gets a good laugh. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. What are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one personal thing and one business-related thing. I would say that personally, I've got a granddaughter that's 18 months old and and I've become very passionate about being involved with her and it's a lot of fun to be a grandparent. But, you know, kind of personally, I support a lot of, I grew up in a very small town. I still work to help fund a number of the youth sports activities and high school things that where I grew up. And I'm pretty passionate about that. And then from the business side, what I'm really passionate about is developing young leaders. And, you know, I was lucky enough that I worked for some great leaders, whether it be in the army or in the civilian world. And, you know, what I'm passionate about, what I'm most proud of is when I can look at somebody I hired as a sales rep 20 years ago, who's now a successful CEO or a a person who helped me from uh, financial planning and analysis, who when I was the head of sales at a company who's now a very successful CFO or a venture partner or something like that. So I get great pleasure in helping leaders develop. And it's all based on what I learned at the military academy and what I learned in the army on uh, how to lead small units, and it translates very well to business. And so I'm passionate about finding talent, developing it, and kind of helping it through networking and doing those sort of things. Okay. And I always ask this next question because I think everyone brings a unique perspective. And I think given your background with the military training, and then obviously having been in the business world for a while, I think you'll have a great perspective. But when I got into payments 16 years ago, I just sort of fell into payments. There was no desire to build a career in payments because there really wasn't a hot industry back then. And now there's so much money being invested in it. There's now the word fintech that didn't even exist back then. And I think kids in college these days, they can take fintech courses. They look at payments as a hot industry. There's a lot of investment in it. It's a growing industry. It's technology. So if someone's graduating, say this spring, and they're looking at starting their career in payments, what would your advice be to them to be successful? Well, first of all, when you're graduating from school, your number one task is to find a job and understand that the first job you get may not be the one you end up excelling in and going forward. And so I think you've got to look for what are the things that excite you and interest you. And when you look at the payment space, I think it's look at a company that's got an interesting point of view and is trying to do something very interesting. And and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a startup or a small company. There's plenty of large companies that are looking at different ways of doing it. That would be the first thing. Hey, look, that looks like something interesting and it looks like something competitive and I'm competitive and I want to get into that and see if we can ultimately prove that out. Secondly, I think you look for exciting people to work with, people that are innovative, that have energy, that are positive and want to bring you along as a key player. And what I tell young people is they get in a job and they say they hate it. And I said, look, you're 24 years old. You literally have no bills. 
get out of there and go somewhere that you love because you got to find some place that you're going to spend a lot of time at with people that you're working with. You're going to spend a ton of time with. You got to enjoy that or your life's going to be miserable. And so I've been lucky enough. I've worked for innovators and people that drove me. And look, I've had plenty of really hard bosses, but man, they uh, they made it interesting and we were competing and growing and doing things. And that's what makes it exciting. So look for somebody who's got a point of view on something that you think is innovative, that you can get behind and contribute to, and then work your ass off. And uh, what I found is if you've got high energy, positive attitude, and you work hard, opportunities just keep landing on you. And look for ways to differentiate yourself. You know, one of the things I tell young leaders is, look, everybody sends email now. Send a handwritten thank you note every once in a while. You'll be surprised at how people will remember you. And for example, I got a job, a board job, and turned out that the guy who was hiring me, his assistant had been the assistant at Golden Gate Capital. And the guy asked her, she goes, you know, the Sean Feeney guy? And he goes, yeah, that's the guy that writes the handwritten thank you notes. And I got the board job. And that was, you know, it was 20 years since I'd sent her a note. But people remember stuff like that because nobody does anymore. And first of all, you got to learn how to write in cursive or at least print. But uh, I always look for people that have innovative ways to look at it and they'll challenge you. I love young people that come into our company or people that I work with that challenge me. Because look, I started out carrying a rifle in the woods. So I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. What I think I do very well is I put together teams and work forward. So the other thing I'd look for is do they value your input? And look, you got to realize you got to work a little bit and have a little bit of experience before you start telling them all the stuff they're doing wrong. And it's a, you got to pick your spots. But uh, I think payments is just a fascinating space that, you know, there's just so much going on around various payment vehicles and the way that you can do it. And who knows what crypto is going to bring into all of this. So there's just so many exciting places to work and so many exciting people to work for. Yeah, I think that's all some great advice. Well, Sean, we've covered a lot of ground so far on the company, the industry, and a little bit about your journey. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? You know, Greg, I've, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. It's, uh, you know, Cantaloupe is a great story, but there's so many great stories out there, especially in the payment space. There's so much going on. And if you're looking to get into the space, jump on and it's been great. And I've been lucky enough to work for some great people. And I work with so many great people that work for us here at Cantaloupe. And I get some of the credit, I get some of the blame, but let me tell you, it's the people that are eyeball to eyeball, belly to belly with the customers, whether that's selling, servicing, or taking care of them every day that differentiate us between our competitors. And if you're looking for an exciting place, check our website. And we're always looking for talented people. We'd love to have you come aboard the Cantaloupe and be one of our melon heads. <laughs> okay. Well, great. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time's very valuable, so I really appreciate you being here. Greg, it's great being with you, and you've asked some great questions. I've really enjoyed it. So uh, we'll see you down the road. Okay. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 